Welcome to Expanding Your Faith, a podcast hosted by Bishop Greer Godsey of the Old Catholic Churches International. Expanding Your Faith brings together a panel of well-educated clergy and laity to discuss modern events with a biblical perspective. Our podcast is about to start. Please stay tuned. Welcome to Expanding Your Faith. I'm Bishop Greer, and joining me tonight is Reverend Mark. Hello, everybody. And Blackbird. Hey! <laughs> uh, tonight we're going to do something just a little bit different than we normally do. Um, we're going to be having a discussion with Blackbird about American history before America. Um, so kind of the... Uh, life and and the uh, the troubles and and tribulations that occurred to the indigenous population once uh, us Europeans arrived on these shores, um, and talk a little bit about uh, their life before we got here. And and of course, you can't talk about that without discussing the horrible things that happened after we got here too. And so Blackbird is going to be our guide on that, and I'm just going to kind of open the floor and let him uh, begin and uh, wherever he wants to start, and we'll just interject as we go along and have a discussion. Thank you, Blackbird, for being here. Hey, thank you, Bishop. Um, This is kind of a new thing for me. Uh, First and foremost, I want to start by recognizing the land that I personally right now I'm sitting on and the indigenous people, uh, the Nooksack people who originally occupied this territory, I am probably not too far away from the res. So um, I don't want to give out exact location, but enough be said about that. Um, Here in America, it is very easy for us to forget about who was here Mm -hmm. before we were walking on this land. It's very easy for us to forget whose bones are buried underneath your living room. So if we can, it's, it's important for us to take a moment at least to identify who was here before us. Right. Hmm? Right. We know I'm sure everybody in the podcast understands that there was a history of America before it was called America. If you look back just on the eastern seaboard, you have a huge multi-nation confederacy, uh, the Haggadoshone and the Huron Confederacy. This is from where a lot of the the concept of the democracy came from when uh, the American Revolution was just getting started. We, uh, the American government, really had no idea on how to govern its people. So let's let's start it there. Um, let's let's start it with the uh, with the peopling of the Americas, right? And we're going to go backwards from there a little bit. 
Now, there are two major ideas that have since come into prevalence in the paleoarchaeological world, the land bridge or the ice-free corridor theory, which has been losing ground. Right. Right. And there is the kelp freeway theory, or the kelp highway theory, I guess, for lack of better words. Now, this has been gaining more ground because the idea being that when the ice sheet left, it was scoured the, the, the earth, leaving no vegetation or nothing for anything else to eat. Right. So the idea that there were um, open waters there for them to hunt. And that brings me to what we were talking about the other day with the Karens. You know, we were talking about seafaring people, and we know that there were there were open corridors. We know that the people of the Pacific Northwest are seafaring people, so it makes sense that that technology would have existed at least in some form. We understand that the peopling of the Americas, going all the way down to the Cape, stretches back long before European peoples knew that the world was round. Right. Now, what happened to the tribes of Europe? Why is it that the Americas, when the Europeans came here, that they behaved the way that they did? I did want to uh, give a comment that uh, Jane says the Nahut and Zapotec, my peeps, have a story about boats coated in gold. Hmm. Zapotec. Where is that from? What region is that from? Oh, Oaxaca. Oaxaca. There you go. Okay. Okay. Now, that's, um, that's post-OMAC or pre? So, um, she said, I believe post. Um, okay, so that would have been during the rise of the Maya and Inca empires. Because mm -hmm. the Zepotec were, uh, now that I'm looking through my my notes here, I believe they were a pretty small nation in comparison to uh, the other Mexica-speaking peoples down there. Yes. Uh, she says Olmec were the previous, they are related. Ah. Uh -huh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So touching on that, the Zepotec, where there's new archaeological evidence showing that the Zepotec may be the ones responsible for doing the the eight-mile-long hieroglyph, or, um, uh, oh, God, that's not the hieroglyphs. That's the, um... <laughs> sorry, petroglyphs. Petroglyphs, yeah. There's, a, there's eight miles of, like, this entire rock face that's been painted in red ochre. Right. And, they, and on these things, they're showing uh, people with giant sloths, mammoths. So, again, we know that there was an overlap. And this is what I love about science is that it, it, it slowly is starting to reveal to us the the preconceived idea of the ignorant savage or the uneducated savage is being over and over and over and over again being dispelled. 
the technology of the people was far more advanced while in when uh, Teotihuacan was in its height they were still dumping their night buckets out their windows into the street right and if memory if memory serves that was right around the time when the uh, the second plague came through england not the one that was caused by the volcano but during constantine's time yeah, jane says we had a very sophisticated sewer system so most of the people's from what research has been showing me and you know what i've talked to some of the some of the folks agriculture and hydrology were key that's why that the the landscape was so heavily modified in the mountains because they can grab every single drop of rain that was there there was no fresh water in the jungles as strange as that sounds in that jungle, there was really no fresh water outside of what was caught in the cenotes. And she says we had, uh, Jane says we had less disease because of it, and we were very protective of our water system. And that's one of the things that Cortez and colonization as a whole is really good at is identifying a weak link in the cultural fabric and exploiting that. Right. And that's exactly what Cortez did. That's what uh, all the subsequent uh, Bizarro and everybody else afterwards, that's how they were able to bring the missionaries in there because of the disease and the, the destruction of the fabric of the cultural wealth that was there. So Jane says Cortez threw deceased bodies into one of our wells for one of our cities. Yeah, yeah. So I want to kind of go back to your question you asked a little while ago, and that was that, you know, why did the Europeans act the way they did when they came here? And I, we kind of touched on that, I think, a little bit the other night in the fact that, mm. you know, um, uh, it, it kind of matters what people made their priority in that well, in their okay. culture, you know. And right. so the priority in some European clans had drifted from uh, the population as a whole, caring for everyone, working together with everyone. Uh, and whatnot, and passing on knowledge and that kind of thing in the, in the way it had been done over the centuries prior to more of individual gain and wealth and greed and power, and that became more of their priority in Europe. Well, let's look at what the Romans had, right? Romans had structure. Romans had buildings. Romans had roads. It made it easier for you to get your trade in and back and forth. Right. They had a monetary system that it was established, right? Romans at that particular point, they were pagan mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when they invaded when they invaded uh, Europe. Mm -hmm. They were pagans, but they 
dominated everything. But that kind of mentality, that that uh, what John Trudell called that mining mentality, that miner, it, it exploited that, and it used that and destroyed that whole generation. So after five generations, that predatory system, there's nobody left. Right, and how long was a generation? Maybe 14, 15 years at most? 20, and you were an old man? Yeah, if you're talking uh, pre turn of the eon from BCE to CE, then yeah, you're talking 15, maybe 20 years if you're lucky. Right. Per generation. Right, and, and who, what were. The Celts, they were, they were, they were pagan, right? Mm -hmm. So by the time Rome converted to Christianity, and Christianity began to spread across Europe, what, what did they encounter? They encountered a predominantly woman-centric type of religion that was based in Earth. Mm -hmm. the Celts. Well. Yeah. Yeah, well, with the Celts, with the Picts, with the Iceni, with right, any right. of the tribes that they, they, they encountered that were living there in Europe, from the right. Goths to the Franks to the Visigoths to, you know. Right, right. Everybody that the church came in contact with. If you look at pre-contact, Everything was in balance. The tribe knew where they belonged. They knew who they were. They knew their relationship to the earth. Earth was mother. Sky was father. Moon was sister in a lot of cases. And they would never do anything to violate the earth. They would never spit on their mother. So this whole idea of this one God owning everything because he made it. It really was kind of like a, a, an alien invasion. So that whole concept of unity, clan, family was pretty much destroyed. Yes. What was going on here during those times was a stronger development of the Haudenosaunee and all of those nations. Now, that's not to say that there was not conflict amongst the people. There was warfare, especially the only large scale that really could be said was between the Comanche and the Apache. I mean, those guys were tearing the shit out of each other. Right, right, right. <laughs> and they got really good at it. Right. But the idea of warfare was never like it was in Europe. You know, there wasn't an entire wiping out of whole generations. Right. It just it just didn't exist here. Right. So, so by the time the tribes of Europe were no longer tribes of Europe, you know, say by the time England was unified with Alfred, there was no longer any idea. I mean, there was little pockets left over, but that whole reality of being in touch with Earth and, and clan, that didn't exist anymore because they were now property. Right. They were they were workers of the land and whoever owned that land at the particular time, they were no different than the cattle or the sheep or the pig. Right. 
so by the time that the tribes of Europe got here, it had never been here like that. <laughs> you know? Right. <laughs> and so it really was like an alien invasion. Mm -hmm. So when they got here and they asked us who we were, we said, we are the people. By the time that uh, Europe had kind of um, unified, uh, England had, Euro had uh, uh, unified, um, they were now under the serfdom and lord system where mm -hmm. they were basically owned by the lord and... Um, and, you know, the fiefdom system and everything else that was prevalent in Europe in that day and time. And so when they came here, they had no concept of people outside of that system by that point. Well, and let's look at how the system was developed, right? It was all developed and predicated around fear. Right. Right? right. If you were thought to be a pagan, the church came and they killed you. Essentially, yeah. And, and you, you you were tortured, and, and, and probably during the process of that torture, you probably said somebody else's name. Right. So, you know, you damned your neighbor or whoever else, you know. And so they really, like a lot of what the, the, the people try to express is they had to learn to love what they fear. Yeah. The... They go to this church, and, and it's, it's, it's uh, I'm not trying to speak ill of the church, and I know how that sounds. Yeah, no, I understand. We can, we can speak ill of it for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I'm going purely on history, right? Empirical data. Right, right, right. right. So... They had to learn what they learned to love what they feared, and right. that's that's really not a way to to develop uh, a, a relationship with anything, right? So if you're going to, it, it's really kind of a spiritual abuse. Very much so. And. It, it, it takes the, the the church says you're supposed to have this free will, but then if you speak out against the church, well, we know what all happened. It's there, right? So the 1400s come along, and while the the pilgrims came across the water, there was this. Spanish invasion of the South. So it really was kind of like a two front war, right? right. We got hit on both coastlines. Right. And while it was the Puritans that landed first with John Smith and that whole nightmare, it was the, the Roman Catholic Church that landed in what is now currently modern day South America, Mexico. Right. Now we all we all know that Columbus never made it to the Americas. He, right. he he made it to Cuba, and the people that he encountered over there was the Taíno. Right. And in his own writings, the the church, he was saying, "What good slaves they will they will make because they have no concept of wealth." 
they give freely of themselves to the point of of poverty right and that speaks again to the nature of the indigenous culture what i was talking about yesterday where it is about the we us right it, it's not about the i and that is the difference between the european culture where it seeks to make the earth available for plunder right and that's really what it was right it was about conquest about gold the spanish wanted the gold and the silver yeah the english wanted the gold and the silver so much so because what could the english live without tea and where the only place they were getting their tea from right and that's a whole another subject for another day right so by the time the tribes of europe were had been fully indoctrinated by the church in its most brutal form the burning times the uh the destruction of the the pagan cultures um in europe by the time it got here they had really figured out a way to change the fabric of reality because by the, when we got when they got here we still knew who we were mm -hmm. all the way from the inuit and the yupik up in the north all the way down to the south right we knew who we were we were the people well, when we told them who we were they they couldn't understand because it'd been what 20 30 generations yeah so that idea of of clan and and community no longer existed in their reality right the earth was available for plunder go forth and dominate and so <laughs> yeah go forward and dominate it and what was the what was the edict the doctrine of discovery what what was that again you know manifest destiny right the doctrine of discovery the church said it if these people are not Christians, therefore they have no right to property or land. They they are not human. If they will not convert, take them by force. Right. And I'm paraphrasing. Well, yeah, but I mean it's, that's essentially what it was. Yeah, convert or die is what a lot of people utilize today. The same yes. thing they did in Europe. Yeah. The people here would not make available the plundering of the land. And that's why it was so abhorrent to us. We we couldn't we couldn't reconcile this, right? Mm -hmm. And that's again because of what was important in the social fabric here, as opposed to what was important in the social fabric in Europe. Right. These were two completely different worlds. We have this influx of Europeans, the Puritans first. And of course, uh, we all know the story of John Smith and and us, uh, uh, what we said. call Sacagawea, uh, which is was not her name, but. <laughs> so it's in. You know, 
And we've learned through history that <clears throat> that was not the wonderful love story that Disney would have us believe that it is. That it was a very brutal uh, story. She was the first MMIW of the Americas. Can you explain what that acronym is for us? Missing Murdered Indigenous Women. Yes. And that has been expanded into Two Spirit, and which encapsulates the LGBTQIA community. Right. And so, um, and of course, we have also the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, who um, uh, um, co-opted uh, Tekawitha <laughs> and even made a saint out of her, which that was not the pleasant story they would have us believe either. That but was a really ugly, ugly, ugly story. Yes, it was. Very much so. And... From the church's side, um, you know, um, and I'm not defending the church. They were wrong in the things they did. But, um, you know, they sent people like Isaac, Father Isaac Yoz to New York and Canada to the First Nation peoples. And, yeah. and the missionaries. He, he went up there and started to brutally try to convert them and then when he went back to Rome missing most of his fingers because they had fed them to him um, well they first cut his fingers off with muscle shells right and then uh, there's he, a particularly good movie about his journey through New York right um, called Black Robe and then as if that wasn't good enough of a warning to him, he decided to come back and try again uh, and ended up being uh, killed because he didn't take the warning the first time around. But he was very brutal, too. And he was not the saint that people think he was. You know. Well, and again, we see that over and over and over, that, that, that reality of the brutality of the church. Now, what I want to quantify is that this is a human system. Right. I don't think any higher being would... Thank you, Father Ben. Um... I don't think any higher being would allow things to be as they were. Right. Because from what I understand of creator, nature is brutal, right? And may even sometimes seem cold, but she's never cruel. Right. She's never cruel. That providence lies solely with humans. Right. So, so we, we have but, them, the, the pilgrims arriving, and then, of course, um, when 
some of them disappeared, Roanoke and everything. Uh, they sent even more people to come here. And we then start to get this story, this mythos around those people that came and settled. The idea of the first Thanksgiving. Well, and, that, and, and that's exactly what it is, this mythos, right? So there was no sitting at a table like, like we, we, we saw or was mentioned before, you know. There was no, there was no uh, big feast or, or harvest festival or, or sharing of turkey and pumpkin pie. No, it wasn't like that at all. Right. They wanted the cornfields. That's what that uh, governor wanted. They wanted the land. They wanted to farm the land. Farming, Europeans knew. Yeah. And they knew the land that the... Uh, forget the name of the people um, who they came, who were they were in contact with um, Pequot I think I think it was the Pequot they wanted their agricultural land they knew it was fertile right right so that's really what that was all about it was about acquisition of of, of land resource so that's what their Thanksgiving was about. After they'd slaughtered everybody, 350 men, women, and children, they celebrated by right, walking through town, through the middle of town, with the breasts of women on pikes, unborn children, ripped from their mother's bellies, tacked on boards. These were seen as trophies. Men's genitals hung on strings around people's necks as war trophies. Right. This is what they did. And this is where the idea of scalping came from. It had such long, beautiful hair. Right. So this idea of scalping didn't come from Indians. It came from the idea of the Europeans. We just perfected it. So by the time the 1800s roll around, we have the, the French-Indian Wars. Mm -hmm. And this is all about the fur trade. Beaver pelts. Again, resource. You have the British government and the East India Trading Company trying to grab as many beaver pelts as they possibly can for their hat-making business over overseas. Mm -hmm. They did not send us their biggest or brightest. They did not send us their most intelligent or humanitarian. The people that came over here were rapists and murderers, child molesters, and misogynists. They destroyed the land and the people with, without abandon. Mm -hmm. 
So again, it it was it was becoming known to the people how the French traders, the fur traders were, how the mountain men were, what the church was all about. And you touched on the, the black robe there and the idea of the church. Right. So we knew through oral tradition and through messengers and that the, there was something coming. Now, I, I don't know whether, I mean, personally, I would like to think that people like Tecumseh and Sitting Bull and Iron Kettle and all of those great war chiefs and, 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 and medicine keepers, I would like to think that they fought the way they fought because they were doing what they needed to do to protect them and theirs. But that was the problem too. That was the chink in the armor of the American, of the Americas before the Americas is that every man could choose his battle right and go to whatever side he chose that's why that's why we got you guys had scouts <laughs> right you know and jane says they nearly drove animals to extinction uh the europeans did mm -hmm. um and we saw that in the buffalo herds that were you know driven to just about extinction bear there, there's no more kodiak bears in in the lower 48 anymore not like they used to be wolves right this is all Car based on fear jane says carrier pigeons as well i didn't know that well yeah uh, carrier pigeons were wiped out in world war one mm -hmm. so the people had no immunity to this disease that was the church. And, and it really was, it, it spread it like a virus, right? Mm -hmm. The people had no immunity to it. So by the time the, the, the late 1800s comes along in the Dawes Act, where they start categorizing Indians and give us enrollment numbers, mm -hmm. um, you had the allotment system and, and you had people like, um, like Sitting Bull and, and, and Crazy Horse who were alive at that time who, who fought a resistance battle. There was some victories for sure, but ultimately they lost because of technology. Right. And they didn't know how to lie the way Europeans did. Right. A lot of bait and switch going on. Oh, boy. And then there's this strange guy, this white dude over in this place called Washington, who was making all the rules. Yeah. I mean, you never saw the guy, this great chief in Washington, but he was the, he was this thing called the ruler. He was the president, this thing called the president. Right. Completely different concept. Yes. You know, that's one of the uh, disadvantages sometimes to history is history is written by the victors. And so well, that, informa 
everything that I've been saying tonight is is readily available on Google or YouTube or right. You right. can you can look up any of this information at any time. Right. It's about your willingness to learn. Right. And your open mindedness. Reverend Mark, do you have any thoughts? Mm -hmm. <laughs> no, I'm uh, just listening. Bishop Ben wanted to make sure that we kept you in the loop here. Uh, but um, speak to us a little bit, uh, Blackbird, about, um, I, I don't want us to stay all on the atrocities that happened there that we, cause we could, we could spend the whole, uh, we could, hour, we could spend 10 years you know. on that list. Um, but <laughs> speak to us some about life, uh, for, uh, the native tribes prior to, uh, European arrival. Tell us about, well, I mean, that's, that's really kind of a nuanced question, isn't it? It is what because each tribe is different. About? Yeah. But right. Well, it's, it's not even that it's very, within that tribe then you have different clans within that tribe and right. within those clans you have sub clans within those tribes right you know so i mean what are we talking about here on the east coast you have people who were earth or earth mound people right where the the concept of the the three sisters comes from the Haudenosaunee and and the agricultural societies and the earth mound people Right. Right. Um, in the Northeast, you have the Huron and the Mohawk and the, the woodland people. You know, down in the Southeast, you have the swamp people like the, the Seminole and the Shalaki and the Sock and the Fox. You know, so what, which region are we talking about? Because you can't you. You can't really. Well, I think that's a good start there is the fact that, you know, there are these different peoples of different um, uh, lifestyle and uh, different um, ways of life, you know, agriculture and, you know, uh, woodland people. And you had the people who uh, focused more upon the water and, um uh, you know, fish and, and things of that nature. And, and then you had the people in the plains who were more about uh, buffalo and, um, and hunting uh, and with some agriculture, but mostly uh, hunting and, and foraging in that area. Well, and, and there really wasn't a sedentary people unless, you know, you, you talk about, you know, uh, maybe Taos Pueblo. Mm -hmm. You know, when there, it was just too damn hot to move around. Right, right, right. Give us kind of a, a, a look at, um, and you just pick whatever uh, group you want. No, 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 that's on you. <laughs> you, um, you throw the dart at the map for that one, buddy. Okay. Uh, but, um. You know, I don't think a lot of people really understand the dynamics within a, a tribe or a clan, um, even generally. Um, because, again, like you said, we have that European mindset. Well, even again there, you, you have, that's a very nuanced thing. 
Right. You know, and and even as with as much knowledge as I do know, um, I don't know all of it. Right. Right. You know, um, we had matriarchal societies. We had patriarchal societies. We had societies that were based on um, hunting and gathering. We right. had societies that were based on sedentary things. We had societies that were based on astrological uh, concepts, and we had societies that were based on writing. You know, we had whole it, the it's so it's so nuanced. So tell us a little bit about the matriarchal societies. Um, well. Because that's kind of a concept a lot of people aren't familiar <laughs> I mean, with. That covers that covers all of Turtle Island. Okay, let's you know, start there. Um, matriarchal societies were not as um, what folks might have thought. So, again, we're back at the concept of us. Hmm? Right. Grandmother had the matriarch had the final rule. However, clan mothers had a council. So there was a council of women in some cases. Other times there was just the, the one voice where final decisions were made. This might have been a holy woman. The, the concept of chief did not exist. It was more or less a headman who was in charge of that particular clan. Right. Matriarchal societies were predominantly based on the whole, right? So let's look at the Heron as opposed to, say, the Sock and the Fox. These two tribes were diametrically opposed. Right. Where the Huron were an extremely warlike people, they were also a woodland people and semi-agricultural. They were not hunter-gatherers per se because they did build fortifications. Yes. Whereas the the other, the Haudenosaunee, they were a strictly agricultural people, but sedentary agricultural people, not so much warlike but everything was centered around the decisions of the clan mothers. The clan mothers right. then had counsel. And once that counsel made a decision, that decision was passed on to the headman, and the headman gave the word from the council. And that kind of structure still exists in places like Papua New Guinea. Absolutely. Amongst the tribes there in Papua New Guinea. Because mm -hmm. mm -hmm. it's never about really one individual making all the decisions. Right. That that doesn't that doesn't serve the whole unit. Right. That that doesn't allow all voices to be heard. And in case of the the Huron Confederacy, that's not what the peacemaker would have wanted for the people. Right. He wants all voices heard for the best of the people. And I think that's something that a lot of human beings have forgotten today. Yes. So, yes. there you go. Working as a collective towards mm -hmm. common objectives. 
Again, us, we, not I. So, uh, I think it's pronounced Janela has a question. Uh, mm -hmm. What are some common misconceptions or stereotypes about Native Americans? <laughs> Boy, I'm getting hit with them. Um, that's another really nuanced question. I mean, you can you can really pick a subject on any of that. Right. And I think we discussed some of those uh, at, towards the beginning where, you know, the idea that they were not very well educated, they were not uh, resourceful, they were not, you know. Their knowledge was different, okay? Right. I think we right. hit on that the other night, um, where the knowledge was based on the land. The knowledge was based on what was practical land knowledge. Right. Plant right. medicine movement of the animals, what the earth was doing, the quality of water, you know, um, what plants are growing in what season, what's available at that particular season, what's right. not available, where are the best winter camps, where are the best spring camps, where are the best summer camps, where the best water is, where, what areas do you want to avoid? Right. So I think that's, uh, but uh, to the Europeans, that seemed like. Uh, that's not education. Yeah, that was not the kind of thing they were used to because, you know, they already had universities and, and proper schools and, you know. And so it was about learning mathematics and science. And, and so the knowledge was different. I would argue that, you know, nowadays we can look at the knowledge that the Europeans had and say, yes, it's a great tool when it's integrated properly, like any right. other tool. Right, right, right. I agree with you on that. And so they, Europeans would take a certain number of native people to utilize as scouts and guides and things of that nature. Well, of course they would, because the, the the Europeans didn't know what they could eat. Right. When Lewis and Clark was going across trying to find the route to the Pacific, they didn't even know that they could eat fish. They ate their dogs before they ate the salmon. So much to say. <laughs> so much to say. Poor spot. Wow. Poor wow. spot. <laughs> uh, that, that's rough. But I think that also then shows you that mentality. Um, uh, go ahead, uh, Janila. Uh, I, I apologize for mispronouncing your name. But go ahead. Uh, her, she says the other the question is kind of long. So they're going to break it up for us. Um, okay. But they have another uh, question. Um, okay. Um, thank you, Bishop Ben. Uh, for those wondering, Bishop Ben, our producer, is here. He's behind the scenes uh, tonight uh, making sure we stay on topic and keep our time where it needs to be. So thank you, Bishop Ben, um, for your hard work there. Um 
Uh, I'll, I'll wait for you to finish your question, and I'll read it all. Um, so um, Janila says, how can individuals outside of the Native American communities be allies and support indigenous rights and cultural preservation? Educate yourself. Education, 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 education. And get into your local area. Find out what's going on with your local uh, with your local tribe. Get yourself involved. Right. Be loud. Don't just sit on you know the the YouTube or the the uh, in the background. We need voices. Right. We need people out there. We need allies, and that's what an ally is, isn't it? You get out there right alongside, holding hands in the mud and the blood. Right. Absolutely. Great question, and thank you for that good answer. Um, Reverend Mark, any closing thoughts? No, I just, uh, you know, from a church perspective, you realize how much departure um, the church in colonial times in uh, the early days of settlers coming over from Europe, how much they pulled away from the teachings that were written in Scripture. Right. Uh, you take the the uh, the teaching in the Jewish uh, Talmud and the in the um, regarding hospitality and regarding mm -hmm. how we were to treat strangers and so forth. And a lot of that, uh, for the most part, was thrown out the window um, uh, because uh, Scripture doesn't break down that, well, you only, you only give that treatment, the, the hospitality towards people that are just like you. Right. You extend it to, to others. And, um, you know... Christ's words, you know, love your neighbor as yourself, obviously wasn't taught in abundance in churches and to religious circles uh, during those, those time periods and during that. Uh, you know, if, if you feel somebody needs the gospel, needs what you believe, and you come to a group that are completely, um, they have no knowledge of those teachings um, I don't know how you approach knowing scripture and being diametrically opposed to how we were taught to demonstrate love to the neighbor and the people that are among us and right. um, you know we're taught that it's the goodness of God that leads people right. to repentance it's not the sword it's not the brutality it's not the or you're not just like us, well, you must, you know, we, we, we have to move you or we have to kill you. I mean, that, that's, not, that's not in, you know, and when you go back and see history and you see how the church operated, I don't even like to call those people Christians or call those people the church because they were operating so far outside of the teachings of Christ right. and of Scripture. Um, you know, it... Uh, it's one of the, you know, kind of like the, 
uh, the Crusades, it's a horrible mark on Christianity as a whole because I think uh, there could have been coexistence and a peace um, and it would have been a beautiful testimony of seeing the gospel. Imagine this whole continent. Uh, sure, not everybody agrees, not everybody whatever, um, but the, the whole point is this continent could have been uh, brought forth uh, as a an example of what the peace of God, the love of God could do, even with people that are completely different in their belief systems as us. Uh, you, well, you find, and you to speak as a child of earth, it, it's not that we ever had a problem with your God. No. No. It was, it was, it was the children who called themselves of your God, who behaved in Right. Yeah. In an ungodly way to, to quote right. to quote Gandhi, sorry. <laughs> no, no, it was completely ungodly and completely diametrically opposed. You know, if Jesus had been walking among Jesus had shown up on this continent instead of where he did, um, that would not be his approach to existing with other people. And uh, there were plenty of folks that didn't believe that came across Christ's path. Uh, he didn't chastise them and throw them out. It was the yeah. religious people that he had the issue with. Right. And so uh, you look at it and you realize it was such a missed opportunity in history to see uh, what true peace could bring uh, if we'd have just given it a chance. You know, I hate, right. I hate to be cliche, but, you know, give it, give it a chance. You know, give love well, a chance. And if I could touch on that, if I could touch on that for a second, this is one of the things, you know, because if I could be absolutely candid, you know, Bishop, when I first came into your room, I was absolutely loaded for bears. I was ready for war. Right. I remember that. You know, um, I, I, I was ready to go and I was expecting to find an enemy. Right. And that's on me. And but what I found was not an enemy, but an ally. Right. Now, what we can do with that, if if someone like me can sit down in in, in the name of peace and, and sharing of information, that's where it all begins. Right. Right. We have to talk about the things that make us both uncomfortable. Yeah. In order to get to the fun stuff. Right. I agree. Am I? And I think that what Bishop was hitting on before was that Christ never wanted this, right? Never wanted this behavior. Right. But again, we see the evolution of what that behavior has done. And I think it's our process of learning about what was done that helps us then hopefully uh, not repeat the mistakes of the past, you know. Um, well, that, that has to do with religious trauma, which is the subject for next week's podcast. That's right. <laughs> yes, as our producer has reminded us. Um, uh, and, 
so as we begin to dissect some of these harder discussions this season, uh, what we're doing is giving people an opportunity to confront some of those wounds and some of those damages that have occurred within them, within their communities, and hopefully begin to heal and, and change for the better, to become better people. And um, no matter what their religion is, no matter what their belief structure is. So uh, we've run a little long. That's okay. Um, I'll cut out some of the pauses when I edit and it'll, it'll fit. But, uh, <laughs> Sorry about the background. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's all right. Um, but uh, I want to thank Blackbird for being here tonight. Thank you so much for all of your insight and education this evening. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Reverend Mark, as always, thank you for being here. And Dylan, so good to have you too. And Bishop, thank so you. So I would for... like to, if we could, yes, last night we played a song called Eulali, yeah. or My Relations by Eulali. If we could just end the podcast with that, that would make my night. Okay, I'll do that in just a moment. Um, and so uh, I want to thank everyone also for being here tonight. Your questions and comments and everything helped to steer the conversation this evening. And I appreciate each and every one of you. Uh, next Saturday night, uh, our podcast is about religious trauma. Reverend Mark's going to, I mean... Uh, <laughs> uh, we'll we'll be talking about religious trauma next Saturday and uh, looking at some of the causes and some of the ways that we can begin our healing process from that trauma uh, on next Saturday's podcast. So I hope you all join us for that. Until then, keep shining bright, my friends. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Expanding Your Faith. For more information on Expanding Your Faith, check us out on facebook.com forward slash expanding your faith. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you find your podcasts. Until next week, when we once again attempt to expand your faith, Keep shining bright.